You pressed play on this podcast with the click of curiosity. It is another dimension, a dimension of mind, a dimension where nothing is sacred and everything is explainable. You're streaming into a land of both inside and outside of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the midside. Welcome to the midside where we only go live on Mondays on holidays. That's because our oppressive work culture lets us off for the day. So we don't have to be subjects to capitalist exploitation. <laughs> I'm your host, Justin Emlesneski, the hopeful bromantic, and I retroactively and proactively denounce anything anyone has ever said and ever will say on this show. And if you're just tuning in for the first time, you may think this is a different show than what you're about to hear. So... Do not take what I just said seriously or take it seriously and listen on and get very, very angry. But before we enrage you, let me bring in my co-host. Joining me this trip from Dale's Lawn, identifying as a woman to forgo his white male gay privilege, William Green. Hello, hello. Yes, let's before we enrage you, let's delight you with my dulcet tones. Uh, yeah, what a nice week we've had and a nice holiday weekend so far. Uh Flew back from Santa Rosa uh, on Saturday and really enjoyed the time with uh, my business partner and his wife and his, their, their newborn. I guess not really newborn anymore. She's almost a year. But uh, but it was a lot of fun. Seen lots of progress up there. Big milestones coming. It's a very exciting time. Got, uh, Let, I got let's to be visit. clear, though. Hold on. When you say progress in Northern California... You mean the the store is growing and being built. That's what you mean by yes. progress. You don't mean yes. the other progress. No, I don't mean progressive progress. No. Uh, and I got to see my office for the first time. So I hadn't been inside my office. So I have a, I have an office now. So I feel like a, a real a real president of a company now. I have an, an office. Unfortunately, my office is filled with uh, shit to go into the next store. So I didn't get to work in my office. But I do have an office now. So are you going to get out of information security once you move uh, up there? No, not probably not right away, but eventually I, yeah. I mean, when I when I go to I, I will eventually retire from my from my primarily being a hacker and uh just uh focus on this eventually. But that's probably a little bit further down the road. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. Well, uh, I won't have to put up with any more uh any more diversity inclusion officers uh after that. You you won't have to have diversity and inclusion officers in your own company. Well, yeah, I won't have to. So I won't have to put up with them uh, uh, like I do now. Although, uh, in you know, we covered that story in California. You have to have a, a one armed lesbian uh, woman on your board. So I don't know how big the company will will have to be before I have to comply with that California law. But thankfully, since I identify as a woman, um, we should be able to cover that. So what you're telling me is one day I'm going to have to cut off your arm. That's true, and and uh, somehow I will have to achieve veteran status. So I, I don't know exactly how I'll do that, but we'll figure it out. All right. Well, there's a lot of things that I'm not sure how people are doing them, especially in regards to diversity and inclusion. I think we have a lot of diversity and inclusion stories this week. So let's get into it in life on the midside. Does life really suck? No, we just complain and I hope that this 
As always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so through Patreon or Locals. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. That's themidside.com slash Patreon, themidside.com slash Locals. We accept any and all support, including affirmations. Perhaps most of all, affirmations. And you know who apparently needs affirmations, William? The Mexican president. (laughs) He does. He does. Because for some reason, well, let, let me let me let me back this up a little bit. Okay, this is the angle we are going to take to talk about DeSantis declaring his run for presidency, right? Because the Mexican response. Well, it's not just it's it's the it's the, the response superpower overall. of Mexico responds. <laughs> well, that's the point, right? It's all the responses and how absolutely absurd the responses have become. Because as former co-host James pointed out, the politics here isn't so interesting. The politics here isn't so interesting. The flat-out evasion of reality is what's interesting to me here, William, from all these responses that I've I've sort of gathered here. Okay, The first being the Mexican president, who apparently needs affirmation from every Hispanic in the state of Florida. Because he said that... To Florida Hispanics, he said, don't give one single vote to DeSantis. William, Mm -hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, but not every Hispanic is Mexican, correct? Last time I checked, there were such things as Cubans, especially in Florida. Well, also Puerto Ricans in Florida. That's true. Uh, There are other countries other than Mexico and... uh, Justin, I have a question for you. Doesn't this, if you just looked at that headline and you were um, in the sort of conservative uh, MAGA like like zone, wouldn't you see that as confirmation of why the Democrats want illegal Im- immigration? Isn't their story, their narrative always that they're they're there to just illegally vote? They're just building a voting block. Isn't this confirmation that, for their for their uh, for their? I mean, this is there. how conspiracy theories yeah. get started, William, yeah. because it, it looks like the Mexican president is in cahoots with the Democratic Party. Does it not? Yeah, yeah. Well, he and he's commanding his his minions who he's sent over the border uh, to to vote for the uh, their preferred candidate. I mean, talk about internalized racism, right? That's a that's a that's a buzz term, a, yeah. a, a buzz phrase. That the social justice Marxist left likes to use, yeah, or whatever. And I, say, everyone uses. I say, fuck that term. It's just collectivism. Just call it out for what, what it is. That's what I was about to say, right? This speaks to the, the broader issue that's going on in all of this. Internal to our country, external to our country. And when I say external, I mean our country versus the rest of the history of the world. America was and arguably still is the only country in the world that is based on individualism. And this is a perfect example of it. This is a perfect example of it. Mexican culture is built on collectivism to the point that they think they can climb the collectivist ladder and move beyond Mexicans to all Hispanics are going to listen to him just because he is also Hispanic. Yeah, he's just going to command them because they're all they're all just robots, right? And they all have right. exactly the same uh, uh, interests, you know. 
Right. And that that's that's the collectivism of it. Oh, we all must have the same values, even though we're from different countries with different cultures. We must all have the same values. But then again, people are saying this about DeSantis, too. Right. I I pulled up a tweet here from at Mysterious Cat with a K. uh, Catherine Brodsky. I don't know. I have no idea who this person is. She has a blue check mark, which just means she spends eight dollars a month. Right. But this is something you had pointed out, William. She shares these articles, right? Vanity yeah. Fair. Ron DeSantis will formally announce his 2024 bid with Elon Musk. Okay, that's fine. Comma, because apparently David Duke wasn't available. <laughs> now, and then, hold on. In the article, that would be funny. That would be funny if it was done as political satire. But this is this is a journalist, is it not? Yeah, Vanity Fair is a journalist. In another comma, during a conversation on Twitter with Elon Musk, because apparently other neo-Nazi sympathizers weren't available. And the fact that this is a journalist, and Vanity Fair used to be somewhat reputable, if I'm wrong, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe it used to be... Yeah, it had right, a, somewhat, a leftist leaning, but it, it took its journalism seriously back in the day. Right, and this person tweeted a paper I had once dreamed of writing for, Vanity Fair, and she has 54 point... Uh, 2k followers so you know this is somebody who's got somewhat moderate success as a writer but the fact that this is actual journalism and they're reporting this look i've heard a lot of things about elon musk william but when did elon musk start to get called a white supremacist i think it was around see it was when he went to visit trump I think it was the, the Trump derangement syndrome turned everyone on 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 Elon, right? Elon's always Elon's been consistently holding his contradictory views on things, but as the Overton window has shifted, he's uh, slowly become a Nazi. Well, and that's that's the key thing here. You you said is Overton window, because that is the the problem with collectivism in in uh infesting is the word i was looking for infesting everything is it shifted the overton window so far to the point of parody because remember it used to be you know we talk about dan quayle and bush 43 how dumb republicans are and how racist republicans are yeah now it's every republican is a white supremacist or a neo-nazi you know we track this every week in all of the the movie trailers and we'll see that again this week in movie trailers everything is Nazi, Nazi, white supremacist, white supremacist. But this is so disconnected from reality. Yeah, it's it's it is the it's it's back to the witch trials and the devil, you know, uh, it, it's it's becoming it has always been an irrational fear. And I'm not saying there are actual uh, white supremacists out there or racists out there. What I am saying is they don't have any power. And uh, but by constantly crying wolf and saying everyone is a neo-Nazi, I think you're uh, you're you're uh, as Adam Kroll puts it, it's never been a better time to be racist. Right, exactly. And as you're saying, right, they don't have much power. There are more of them now than there were before because of all of this rhetoric. I've been very clear from the beginning of all of this for a long time on this show that there isn't really Nazis in America. 
there isn't really as much racism as people are saying. However, as you just said with what Adam Carolla said, they've made it better to be a Nazi. They've made it better to be a racist because people can't actually identify what it looks like. And it's easier to find other people who want to be contrarian and thus will do things they're not supposed to. Oh, I'm not supposed to be a Nazi? Oh, look at me. I'm an edgelord. I'm a Nazi. Oh, I'm a racist. Isn't that what they've done? Yeah, they definitely have. And, I mean, people have dug up old tweets by Elon, old memes, uh, just, just uh, you know, uh, we've talked about it before, holding up the past to present uh, morality and saying, therefore, you are evil. So... Yeah, it's it doesn't surprise me, but uh, but the 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 deterioration of journalism, like remember when uh, remember when bloggers first came a thing, and we were told that without editors, uh, um, the bloggers would be irresponsible. They would, uh, you know, they would not be upholding journalistic standards. Blah 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 blah. Where do we get most of our information, our actual valid true information now? It's from fucking Substack and Twitter. And not Twitter like as in journalist Twitter, but like actual people on the ground tweeting things. Well, what we learned is the irony of it's like when they talk about gatekeeping. Remember we said always the projection, the projection. Stop gatekeeping. Stop gatekeeping. You can't gatekeep. Right. Isn't that one of the catchphrases the left loves to use now? Well, didn't we learn from that and from what you're saying that the reason they wanted to preserve editors is they were the gatekeepers so yeah. they could do things like this and get away with it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think that's true. My question to you is, do you think the journalist wrote this headline or the editor? These, these, you know, these vaunted editors. Uh, I think the editor wrote the headline, but I mean, the journalist wrote the part about the neo-Nazis in the actual yeah. article. So they're not yeah, that yeah. far off from each other. I think that, one of the things that happened with being exposed is the purity test you're always talking about, William. It made it so they didn't have to pretend as much anymore and they can keep people on staff who are more in line with their agenda anyway. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it used to be that there were they would try to uphold the rules and the bias. If you remember, I mean, um, the late, great Rush Limbaugh, he always pointed out that the bias back in the day was not overt very often it was more the covert as in what they would allow to enter the news cycle right right and that's when you got called crazy for pointing anything out i mean general not you not you in specific yeah, yeah. where if you said oh there's bias and you gave an analysis as to why they would say you were being paranoid and there's not some left-wing conspiracy yeah. and, or something you know like audiences that. weren't interested in those topics meanwhile you know rush was gaining in popularity the most popular radio show probably ever um and covering things that no other no one else in the news media was covering you know his whole shtick was play by play of the media he was calling out how they were directing the narrative in this covert fashion that was his whole show um now it's that, that that's that's still going on but it's 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 just completely out in the open right like yeah let, what let's pull, we would cover sorry. some un some unearth uh uh if if desantis tweeted a meme in 2009 that would be uh, breaking news on CNN for weeks until the election. Well, let's give an example and let's do what Rush was doing. Now we're seeing even this bias on social media on accounts 
that act like they're not biased. So my wife sent me a a 10 slide post on Instagram and she asked me if it was propaganda. The first post is governor Ron DeSantis is running for president. Let's learn about him. Okay. This account is so dot informed. This has 3 million followers, 3 million. So is this some slouch site, William, 3 million followers? No, that's um, significant. That's significant. Now, this is apparently run by Jess. It's, dot, a, it's less than what we have, you know. Yeah, much less than what we have. But run by Jess.Natalie, who, if you click on her account, it says she's in Brooklyn. And that's I'm sure that's probably her primary source of income is this so.informed account. Okay? So let's look at something in particular on here. Okay? There are 10 slides. If you go to the last one, which is the one my wife sent me, it says... DeSantis wants to make America Florida, but that reality would be awful. Let's take a look at the state of Florida under his leadership. First of all, William, has DeSantis ever said, make America Florida? No, but I think I'd be in favor of that slogan. I I would be as well, but I've never heard him actually say it. I Googled it. I couldn't find it. I found Floridians saying to make America Florida, but that's also because Floridians say things like don't New York and don't California my Florida. Yeah. But there is one line here, William, that I think is beyond egregious. Okay? This is a whole list of things. It talks about, like, teacher salaries, homelessness. It, there's ratings from the March of Dimes, right? Anti-immigrant laws. But this is the, the most egregiously false Anti-illegal one. immigrant laws. Let's not, uh, let's be clear. I hate when uh, we don't draw that distinction. Well, right. Most but illegal they, immigrants are in fa- favor of illegal immigrant laws. Right. Well, right. And that's what this this post says extreme anti-immigrant laws. It doesn't even say illegal immigrant laws. So that that's another point in your favor, William. Um, this is the most egregious one, though. This is the bullet point. Florida is the least affordable state to live in the U.S. Hmm. Response, William? Uh, let's, uh, I'm, I'm actually house shopping right now. I bet I could buy three houses in Florida for the amount that I'm having to look at for houses in a small town in Northern California. Right. And that's just Dude, California. I, I, hold on. I'll look it up right now. Here, here's just a random town, a uh, suburb of Sacramento. I'm, this is not where I'm looking. I just happen to see it on Zillow because I have Zillow open because I'm house shopping. Uh, the cheapest, House with the garage that I see in Chico, Florida, right now. Chico, California. 000, yeah, four hundred thousand dollars. How how many square feet? Uh, nine hundred square feet. Nine hundred square feet. Okay, yeah. but it has a garage. But nine hundred probably square a double feet. wide. Right. Now I'm going to tell you. I can just tell you from knowing. Like, you can get for the same price double the square footage. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Now maybe not in West. Palm Beach or South Beach. Right. Or Miami. Yeah. Yeah. But, and let's, let, let's compare uh, uh, gasoline. Um, I don't buy gasoline anymore. But isn't it like 2 or $3 more expensive here in LA than it is in Florida? I know your last trip, uh, we had, I think we had talked about that a little bit. The gasoline was just outrageous here. Yeah, what is gas there right now? I have no idea. I have a Tesla, my dude. Oh. 
Uh, <laughs> go go to Gas Buddy and look it up. Go to Gas Buddy and look it up. Because here it's like three thirty three a gallon is what I paid the last time I paid for gas. Three thirty three yeah. a gallon. So so look it up to see what it is there. Okay. But that's the point. Four fifty five. So it's a whole dollar twenty less. That's significant. That's significant. And this is the crazy thing. We're talking about California, which is the extreme. But this person who runs this account is from Brooklyn. Is from Brooklyn. Yeah, holy now, shit. Isn't toilet paper $8 for a single roll in Brooklyn? <laughs> Probably. I, I don't know exactly what the cost is, but it's much more expensive. And that's the thing, man. Like, I don't understand. <laughs> this person remember, is either... I remember my friend, my friend uh, Trey, who lived in Elle's Kitchen, was talking about how they, like... Anyone who lives in, in, in that area, like, knew which bodega would have what thing uh, cheaper or on sale uh, because, you know, it was super inconvenient to leave the city to go to a- actual, you know, Target or Walmart or something, right? Right. And that's what I don't understand. This person is either deluded or lying. And the thing is, people will be- read that and believe it. How on any... Metric. By any Could metric. you say Florida is the least affordable state to live in the United States? Wait, how could uh, you say how that? How much is your income tax again? Zero. Wow. And it's the most expensive state to live. Yeah. Now, I will say there is more line items on the Florida property tax than on other states' property taxes, but it still doesn't negate the the income tax. The lack Do you of have an tax. unsecured property tax? Because I, I not only pay, pay property tax as a business owner, but I I pay property tax for things inside of my building. No, I don't even know what that means. What does that mean? You pay property tax for things inside of your building. So, uh, so like all the tenant improvements I did, you know, the air condition, the grill, the walk-in cooler, all, all the value of that, I pay a tax every year. It's called an unsecured property tax. No, I've never heard of that before. Yeah. That would be the idea. If I made improvements inside my house, I'd have to pay extra property tax for it. Yeah, yeah. They would take the value of your, uh, you know, your John Galt statue into account. Yeah. No, I've never heard of that before. And here, here's the thing, William, about this, this lying, right? Lying has always been a part of politics. But it seems to me, remember when people started saying the phrase post-truth? Are people yeah. really internalizing this idea of post-truth? truth this idea that you don't even have to say things that are true anymore as long as it fits your agenda maybe i think what we're seeing is you know everyone's worried about ai and uh i think this is this is not uh this is the kind of stuff that as we get used to uh ai generated content we're going to get used to detecting it this is just stuff put out like you said as propaganda but it's basically to encourage your confirmation bias so if you're if you're uh, uh, if you suffered from uh, Trump derangement, long Trump derangement syndrome, and uh, and you want to be programmed to hate DeSantis and not consider anything he says, then these are the these are the things that will confirm your biases. Here's ten slides that confirm your bias. And it doesn't matter if it's true or not. Are it you saying it's true this or is AI, yeah, yeah. AI generated it, content? Well, I'm not. I'm saying it. It would be exactly what an AI generated content would be. Makes sense. I mean, the the other thing too. To before we move on here is, it's not just the left lying here. Trump supporters are lying about DeSantis too in similar ways. I mean, their big lie about DeSantis is saying he was one of the most authoritarian governors in regards <laughs> to COVID. 
You've seen that one, yes? <laughs> yeah. Well, and also that Trump saved his election. Yeah. That's been going on for years, though. Yeah. Well, but you we'll know, get back into maybe Trumpers. would would the people I, I mean, I know we lost all of our Trump derangement syndrome listeners, but um, if any rejoined, does this work? Does the fact that Trump is uh, we know Trump, you know, someone with Trump derangement system uh, syndrome knows by definition, Trump never tells the truth like every word out of his mouth is a lie. If he's criticizing DeSantis, must must you not do the opposite? I mean, that's what these TES victims uh, sufferers did before right they would just do the opposite of whatever trump uh was claiming or doing or saying they would just uh just adamantly say the opposite fact right um so doesn't that mean that you must therefore support DeSantis? well that's the thing that's weird about all of this is DeSantis sort of is like uh schrodinger's politician and if you're on the left he's the same as trump but if you're on the right he's the same as the left yeah I think that's a good test for a politician, you know, and, and I was just going to say that maybe that means he's the best candidate right now. <laughs> that should tell you something. But the problem is it's so collectivized that yeah. everyone's just going to hate him. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of uh, evading reality or evading capture or truth and the law is, did you hear about this TikTok guy, Mizzy, who the people have been talking about all the time on social media recently? No, I didn't. I didn't hear this before the uh, before the uh, outline. Right. So I saw this guy mentioned a lot, and then he even got to the point of becoming so famous that he went on Piers Morgan's show and they yelled at each other. This is a guy in the UK who he pulls prank videos. Except these pranks, William, are are rather disturbing to me. So one example of a prank is he he went into somebody's unopened house and just sat there and watched TV. Until they said something to him. And then another, he like got inside somebody's car. And when he went up Piers Morgan, he said he'll, he'll do it because the laws in the United Kingdom are weak and allow him to get away with these things. And, and that's why I'm bringing all of this up is, you know, I think we're pretty libertarian on the show, pretty minarchist, whatever word you want to use. But with the way people are being so narcissistic and with that, they're disregarding other people's personal space and the laws themselves. How do we deal with this sort of behavior as a culture? Because I always say like somebody like this is going to get hurt one day, but part of the reason this can happen is because in the UK, there's such strict gun laws Whereas yeah. in the United States, he probably would have been shot. Right I'm not advocating it. Oh, they have knife laws now, too? Yes. Wait, 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 wait. So people started getting stabbed because there were no guns and they created knife control? Yes. Okay. So <laughs> proving the point as to why this is happening in the UK, right? But how do we deal with this as a society? Is violence going to be the only answer eventually, tragically? I, I, I don't know. I mean... I think that setting good boundaries just in general as a life skill is what is needed. And I think we've talked about that before. I know that's very broad, but I think that principle applies here too. Um, but, you know, I, I, I agree with your characterization. We tend to be pretty libertarian, pretty minarchist, whatever you want to say. But I also believe in very swift and harsh punishment for certain things like this, like trespass, right? 
like that this shouldn't he sh- this this person would not can you imagine this happening in texas like it just wouldn't happen right yeah unfortunately he would probably be shot yeah it and then the uh, uh the if he was shot he would be arrested after right yes so i i don't know it's it's crazy to me that there are people out here like this that there are people out here like this. In a, in a way, it's a symptom, but in a way, it actually advocates for people waking up uh, to why we have property rights, why we have governments, right? Um, yeah. And, it, you know, we, we're seeing the swing all across the Western world into this overly regulated, you know, collectivized uh, um, sort of cronyism. And... Uh, and when something so basic as I can walk in your house and watch TV and you can't do anything about it, that that starts to rile people up pretty quickly. Well, as it should. And, you know, perhaps these things will start to be a, a line in the sand. Maybe these are the things that are going to start turning for a while. I thought and I thought we discussed on the show that we thought things were going to start turning. But we seem to, and this will well, go into our UK. last story. That's the UK. They're a little behind, right? right? Well, or ahead. As, I, yeah. as I've said before, if we're not careful, we're headed towards where the UK is. Then again, yeah, I see that. They're ahead, in regu- they're ahead in the wokeness. They're behind in the recovery, I would say. Yes, that's what I mean. Ahead in the wokeness. right? I, I don't think they've started recovery. They tried to with Brexit, but we saw what happened with that. Yeah. But then again, we're, we're not as far ahead as I thought we would be. I mean, look at this story from the New York Times. The headline is, she said Equinox fired her for being a black woman. A jury agreed. Subheadline, the high-end gym franchise was ordered to pay Robin Europe, a former employee, damages of $11.25 million. And above the O in her first name is, what is that, an umlaut? Is that what yeah. that is, William? I so know. I don't know how that would pronounce it differently. Right, so I'm just going to say Robin. That's how you pronounce it. Rich. Rich. (laughs) Right, so a a paragraph from the story here. Miss Europe's tenure at the club was short-lived. Equinox terminated her employment in less than a year because the company said she was late 47 times in the course of 10 months. 47? (laughs) Miss Europe held a different view of her firing, believing that her lateness was merely a pretext for discrimination, and soon after she filed a lawsuit in Manhattan Federal Court arguing that she had been subjected to a hostile work environment and eventually let go because of her race and gender. Last week, a predominantly white jury of five women and three men agreed, delivering a verdict in little over an hour. The next day, they awarded her $11.25 million in damages. Is this... A, could we call this a jury Karens? I, I don't know if that's what a Karen is. I, I like what you're thinking, but yeah. this is this is sort of wokeness to the extreme, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I researched this case a little bit, and I guess what the jury said was, or reasoned, which we have to get in their head a little bit, is well, other people were late too, and they didn't get fired or disciplined. So, but forty-seven times, my God. Yeah, to we'd have to know. We'd have to know how many times the other people were late. No, no, we don't. We if here's the thing. This is collectivizing 
uh, this is collective. This is forced collectivization. They're proving the fact that she was fired for being black by begging the question and saying, well, look, she was treated differently. Therefore, she was treated differently for being black. Whereas what's the more likely scenario? The more likely scenario is she was a bad employee and they were looking for a, a well-documented reason to fire her and her 47 late makes it easy, right? I don't know. Right. I don't so, know about you, Justin, but when I have to fire people, it's nice when they do stuff like show up late. And well, usually when I have to fire them, it's not for necessarily showing up late. Like that's usually a symptom, but not necessarily the cause. It's usually because they're a bad employee. They don't work well. They are rude to customers. And those things are harder to document, right? It's not like I have audio and video of every customer interaction that I can go back and say, look, here's a, here's a time where you were rude to an employee or rude to a customer. Therefore, I'm going to fire you. Yeah, and fortunately, uh, it's a little different for me. I can't fire someone for being late. I'm also pretty much not supposed to uh, lower their grade for being late, but that's a, that's a different story. Although maybe it's not a different story with what I'm about to get to here. Yeah. Right. It's what you just said. She was treated differently. And the question is why? Well, the answers are either she's a bad employee or it's racism. But here's the problem. Here's the problem culturally. I'm sure you've heard this argument. And I had to introduce my wife to this argument as well, because you know she lived in L.A. She knows about Equinox and everything. So she heard about this story and she thought the story was absurd. And I pointed out to her, there are people who argue that. Being on time is white supremacist. I'm sure. Are you familiar yeah. with this oh, argument? Yeah. Very much so. Yes, and yes. It, Clocks are a Western invention, but right. really aren't. But that's that's what it, that's what the, is said. Right. The idea that being prompt and being on time and being uh, very cognizant of that is, is white supremacy is the idea that you know if you're running on island time or Filipino time or any other sort of time, it is not your culture to care that much about the clock. Therefore, you know, if you are looked down on that or punished for that, that is white supremacy because you're implicitly arguing that white culture is superior to other cultures. And I don't know if that argument was used here, but it's certainly an implicit premise here, an implicit premise that, oh, she wasn't liked for being late because of how... Because of being black. And that's why I was saying, William, we have to know how many times for the others based upon the ruling they made. Because if somebody was late 46 times, well, then if they're not fired, you'd have to explain why. And that got into the point you made here about ultimately what this is about is being a good or bad employee. And here's where the white supremacy argument comes back around, William. It destroys all ability to judge good and bad. Because yeah. you're saying that all culture is relative and subjective to the individual. Well, then every individual can act how that individual wants and just claim it's that person's culture. Can they not? Yeah, they absolutely can. So then you have no way of judging employees. You have no way of judging anything. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've definitely... It's it's unfortunate, but the amount of documentation that is required, because it's very much guilty until proven innocent on any of these sort of uh, discrimination things, right? Like, you know, it, 
because in the moment when you're when since you have to throw out individual merit you have to basically prove that they are that everyone is being treated equal when that is not the just thing to do and here's what i mean by that if someone like let's say i have a gm a general manager who's very strong performer um but uh the last month uh, has some family issues and is late a bunch of times in a month. Let's say, let's say it's like five times in a month. And normally like three times would be like super, you know, super serious performance improvement plan, you know, on the way to getting fired sort of thing. Right. And then let's say I do fire an employee that had uh, three tardies, you know, three, uh, three uh, uh, lates without a call. Uh, I would be open to that kind of discrimination lawsuit. Right. Because if they would say, oh, look, you're treating these two employees differently. And that's the, that's the, that's the problem when we are attributing malice to something like this. Does anyone believe that the general manager of this Equinox, is it Equinox? What gym is it? Of this Equinox gym in, uh, in, uh, in a liberal city is racist? Is that, is that, is that like outside of the woke culture? Is that, just a given i mean i don't know because what's the burden of proof on that you know what i mean right well that's that's the interesting thing that's not reported here is what did happen to the general manager because if you cost the company 11.6 million if a company believes you legitimately cost them 11.6 million wouldn't the company fire you now i would guess i I don't know because hey in this case this is a failure of hr because this is the whole reason HRs exist, and Equinox is a big company, right? So, yeah. like, I'm sure the 47 uh, tardies was uh, enough to put on a PIP form for some HR person, right? So, yeah, I don't know that I would hold the, the GM necessarily responsible, or at least not fully responsible in this case. And also, like, uh, again, getting back to my, like, let's say I have a... a, a uh, uh, you know, outstanding performer who's going through a rough patch and I loosen the rules. That's my prerogative as a manager, right? That's, that's what being a good manager is about is, uh, making sure that we're, we're taking like to, to get on the liberal saw or the, uh, social justice saw treating them based on their individual, individual needs. Right. But right. That's that, a little bit of get you into there. trouble, Right. Right, that'll get you into trouble because they don't want equity to be individualized. They want equity, be, equity to be right? collectivized. Do I need to break down our the way we enforce uh, uh, tardies by by gender, sexuality, race, ethnic background, uh, education? Uh, do I need to make sure all those are normal? And if they're not, uh, uh, fall on my sword and say we're discriminating? Apparently, and Equinox isn't firing anyone i don't think because they are fighting all of this because i think they agree with you you know they don't agree that you need to do that and i think that's probably why no i would guess no one's internally suffered here and been fired because equinox believes this is unjust which is interesting right well and one other thing that i couldn't find and i tried to look around a little bit you know my my sister was a personal trainer for a little while and they tend to keep their own schedule And what I mean by that is, yeah, they have times where they're supposed to clock in and clock out, but if they have clients, they might shift their hours around and things like that, right? Like, let's say they're supposed to clock in at nine because they want to have, 
<clears throat> you know, then I'll have some trainers around in case someone, you know, comes up to the desk, right? But maybe she has a late client that day, she would show up, you know, late, she would show up late, but it was like, she knew that she would be on the clock that extra hour in the evening, right? So I, I don't know if that would, that, that would happen in this instance, but I just know from how gyms tend to operate that tardies necessarily would not be an indicator of poor performance or like insubordination or something like that, right? Yeah, and we don't know the full context here. We didn't hear the case where no. maybe she was a personal trainer and the fact that she was running courses, running classes, rather, that yeah. people had to go to. So she would show up late for those. Or maybe she was showing up late to her agreed-upon times with her clients if she was just a one-on-one -on -one personal trainer. We don't know all of the details there. We don't even know if she was a personal trainer, right? Right. It's not super clear that that's, that was the case. Yeah, I mean, I assume they have front desk employees at Equinox as well, so yeah, who knows? And there's all the support staff for the locker rooms and you know, whatever facilities and things like that. Yeah, all we know is that she had a history as a bodybuilder, so that leans towards or lends us towards thinking she did something fitness-wise rather than uh, yeah. organizational-wise. It's not the word I'm looking for, but you know what I mean. But why don't we talk about another company here, William? And I, I'm, I'm really interested to see what you think of all this, because this situation is pretty nuts. Target. 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 So I first saw the Target controversy this week when I was on Twitter, and I saw somebody posting a video of going into Target and seeing the merchandise for sale on the Pride display and yes. seeing that they had swimsuits that seemed to encourage... Gender ideology. Let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah, gender ideology. And the two things that stuck out to me is um, a, a swimsuit that had a easy way to tuck. It was labeled tuck-friendly. Yeah. Tuck-friendly. And it was, it was labeled tuck-friendly, and it was in a uh, the children's clothing. Uh, right. The, the border between the children's and teens' clothing. And then... And then there was another one. So that's for the male version. The female version is the light binding effect. And this is something I've even learned about recently. I didn't realize this, William, that uh, for transgenderism, women will wear clothes that bind their upper body. So it makes their breasts Yikes. present as smaller. Is that what they do? Yeah. We've gone is from this the also push -up bra to the binding bra. Right. And, and let me ask you something. Can this also be used to impede development of a adolescent girl's breasts? Yes. Okay. So that's what's interesting to me. Because here's the thing. I think this can only be virtue signaling. Because there cannot be this many youth who need these <laughs> type of clothing. Wait, this isn't a billion dollar market? I mean, is it a is it a million dollar market? Is there is there know, even that many Justin, people? I think I think you're. But let's let's take the heteronormative approach I think here. You're taking the heteronormative approach here. Always, I always take the look. I am heteronormative. <laughs> Deal with it, okay? <laughs> Deal with it. But but that's the thing here, right? Like, where is the line, William, between pushing the agenda and virtue signaling? Because when well, we talk about Bud Light and we talk about Target. <laughs> Right. I, I question how much of it is naivete. And what I mean by that is, 
Like, are there really that many people working for Target who are like, oh, we need to push the transgender agenda? Or is it just that, as oh. we've talked about every year, we're coming up on Pride and it's we have escalation in this culture where we have to Justin. outdo Pride every year. Yeah, you, you, you sweet summer child. This is how it works. I've worked at several large companies. This is how the DEI department hijacks the company. They have one person usually and, and, and then a small group of underlings that will serve as the consultant for the gay, the gays, right? And of course, these are always activist gays. They're not, you know, they're not gay, not, not queer people like me. Um, I've tried to go into those meetings to present a, a, a balancing force and, and many company I've been in. And you get just the most absurd things uh, that they will vet, right? They will that I'm sure that that they selected a vendor that was uh, super super woke, gay, super queer, and uh, of course they're going to have tuck friendly wear, and they were they would see it as a good thing, and they would pitch it as look how inclusive we're, we're going to be during this this year's Pride, and no one there saying, hey, this is going to be really out of left field for the normies, right? This isn't. There's not going to be a lot of people buying this. If the goal is is showing support for a community, this is not the way, right? Uh, and and there are others in the community who would find this reprehensible. You know, you you must consider though that that the gays aren't a monolith, right? And and trans is a small part of 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 the force teaming that is the LGBTQIA plus LMNOP two spirit community. That's how this stuff gets done, Justin. It's I, I I agree with you that it's naivete, but it's naivete in the sense of thinking that it's there it's people who know better giving up their judgment in the name of deferring to the chosen ones. Right? And they're getting burned by it. And I say they deserve it. Well, and, and here's further proof of what of what you're talking about, William. So all of this is related to this nonprofit called, I don't know how you pronounce it, Gelsen, G-L-S-E-N. How do you pronounce that? I don't know. That sounds about right. right. Well, when you go to the pride part of the Target app, it's all about this company. It says, Gelsen leads the movement. In creating affirming, accessible, and anti-racist spaces for LGBTQIA plus students who are proud of 10 years of collaboration with Gelson and continue to support their mission. Yeah, now, this, the first is the, are, this is the group, this is the group, just to give people background, that hijacked gay straight alliances and turned them into trans factories. I know that sounds well, like that's super inflammatory, but uh, the Gays Against Screamers have been... Um, talking about this for years they took it's, it's they either took inflammatory a, or they're they're big transformers fans <laughs> they're 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 uh they've sort of hijacked all gay straight alliances and turned them into gender ideology they're, they're basically a, a, a religion inside of uh public schools now well and that's what i was going to say the key word here is students yes LGBTQIA yes, plus students. Absolutely. It's this not is, people. This, all students. those all those old GSAs from the nineties and two thousands that were so successful have been completely co opted by this. Right. And students is is code for youth. Right. We're not talking about college students here. Right. And then when you click on the that part of the 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 Pride page on the app, it brings you to the Gelson website. And on the Gelson website, it says right there's it's got one of the old 
tiles, you know, where all the tiles slide and it has different, like, four of them, four panels. One of them says, Gelson Navigator, advocate for LGBTQ plus youth in K through 12 schools. And again, William, this is the scary part, right? Because this site, these are true believers. These are not naive people. Yeah, this is the Vatican website. This is the Vatican website for for gender ideology, one of them. Right. They have to know the stats. There aren't that many, percentage-wise, trans and gay kids. Now, again, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that the ones that do exist shouldn't be supported or helped in a way that's healthy for them. The key word is healthy for them, and we can debate what healthy for them means, but I'm not saying to ignore their existence and be oppressive towards them. However, I'm saying it's anti-reality to act in this extreme of a manner as if it's not even 10%, William, Yeah, but we're acting like it's 25% or 50% with the way we're approaching school with the way well, we're approaching the exponential growth. This I think we'll only have to wait two years before it's 50% of children. I I have two points for you to consider, Justin. The first one is, uh, you know, how many Irish people do we have in the United States? It's a, probably more than LGBTQIA plus two-spirited LMNOP people, right? Uh, I would guess so. Let me look it up. So the uh, Irish population in the United States is five. Oh no, that's Ireland. Sorry. Huh, yeah, the Irish population in Ireland is a little higher. Yeah, the Irish population in the United States is thirty-one. It's apparently that's how many. So thirty-one point five million people have Irish ancestry in twenty twenty-one, according to the U.S. Census Bureau. Nine point five percent of the population. I wouldn't have even known it was that high. Yeah, I was going to say there's more Irish people in the United States than in Ireland. I do know that for a fact. Well, there is, um, because there's only about five. But also, yeah. I think they're probably more pure in Ireland, not to create a race problem. But you get what I'm yeah, saying, yes? I do. Um, Justin, they only get a day. How about we allocate uh, 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 celebrations by percentage of population? That's, that's kind of my first point. They only get a day. They get a day in a parade. We get a whole month and then year-long days of remembrance, uh, days of action. Uh, what was the other one? Uh uh, what was the trans one? It was like the the day of killing or something. What was it? I don't I, remember. I, it was sickening, right? Um, yeah. And the the other point I have is, you know, this Bud Light and the Target stuff and all this stuff. This is this is dangerous. This is something that folks like me have been talking about uh, inside the community and even outside the community, saying like, hey. These guys are fucking up a good thing. We had we have tolerance. We had tolerance in the in the in, in the early aughts, right? And now that the Overton window has swung so far into this collectivist side, look at look at where all this frustration with this sickening and, and bad behavior, this disgusting behavior, right? Like see where all that energy is going right now, and it is going into bad places. You know, there's a the 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 boycotts are a little more benign like place for it to go but this will lead to violence right eventually against against uh lgbt folks and, well, and that's it's of... already happening and and remember it's already happening inside the community right we had right. the uh the 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 
uh, Gay Liberation Parade, the first Pride Parade uh, 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 organizer, get pummeled in 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 a liberal uh, city in Vermont, right? At their Pride Parade. So this is already happening internally. Just wait until the normies start to see, you know, get shaped into by AI, different collective groups, us versus them, and start doing it. Yeah, well, that's sort of the discussion here is because what is the response been beyond boycotting? People have made videos of going into Target and taking down some of the signage and destroying some of the signage. And now yeah. I don't want to say have no violence. They, they're not they're they're told they're evil. They have no right. outlet. I'm not justifying their actions. I'm saying right. this is a consequence that we've been shouting about for a while. Well, and are their actions justified? Let's ask that question. Now it's private property, and that's what Target wants to do. So it's not justified in the sense that it's illegal and immoral to violate somebody else's private property. But if it's to the point where it's essentially a culture war, when does a culture war become a physical war? Yeah. I don't think we've reached that point yet. No. But you understand but we're going down why the golden path right now. Right. You really are. And at a certain point, when is it going to become justified? And the fear that you have, William, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, the fear is the violence is going to start before there is any justification. Yes. Whereas right now we're still in the dialectical stage, and mm-hmm. you're worried about violence starting in the dialectical stage. Absolutely. Justin, I am more afraid to tell people I'm gay today than in 2005, right? It comes with all this baggage that did not, it did not occur in 2005. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that pretty much covers things. Uh, anything else you want to say about all of these stories? <laughs> well, uh, I've been targeting boycott or tar- uh, boycotting targets. Sorry, I said that backwards uh, for like 10 years now. I, I think the last time I was in Target, I bought a shelf. And I don't think I've been there's a target like I can probably see it if I stood on my roof and I still haven't been there. What's so your guess, reason? Uh, I was ahead for of the boycotting curve. Target. Like, like most thing, most things in the midside. I've, I've been ahead of the curve. Yeah, but what was your reason? Uh, just convenience. I just order things on Amazon. Like, yeah. I don't know what to buy at Target. Why would I buy? Well, first of all, the clothes aren't like sort of my fashion. You know, they don't sell. Yeah, Newfound who Glory buys shirts. clothes at they Target? Don't find, or Walmart? They don't. They don't sell Newfound Glory shirts at, at right at Target. Like, why would I go there? Right, and that's sort of the thing with all of this. Right, is even beyond like we're talking about population percentages and numbers. Is their Target demographic really? involved with these kind of causes to begin with that's the most bizarre thing and that goes to the bud light thing right that we talked yeah. about right okay like i we i understand if a company that is involved with that market would want to have dylan mulvaney as a spokesperson oh but I why of all companies I bud wouldn't. light <laughs> bud light had a great thing going right they would support pride parades and be sponsors of gay bars and things like that sponsor gay sports with bars and partnership with bars um, they, they had a good thing going, right? They were showing support without alienating their existing customer base. Now, like, it, taking on the culture war, right? They, they were used as a pawn by their marketing director and the, their DEI office. And now they've, they've alienated both markets. Like, it's, it's, it is a lesson in not understanding your market. I think all of this is. And, we will see more of this going forward, unfortunately. Well, ju- we- yeah, yeah. One, one quick thing, though, Justin. I think 
that the people who advocate for this have a complete misunderstanding of the market, but even if they didn't, they wouldn't care. They don't right. want those customers. They're racist. Right. So for them, you know, uh, bankrupting uh, InBev, who I think is the owner of uh, Bud Light, and but Bud Light may have to rebrand. Yeah. Right. Like, but that's okay with them because, like, why should racists get beer? Right. And I mean, this ultimately goes to something Daniel said before of when he was considering getting a doctorate in regards to journalism, where it's not about the profession anymore. They told him it's not about truth. They'd rather write stories that push the agenda rather than yeah. what actually happened. And it's the yeah. same thing here. The The people you're talking about aren't concerned with actually doing the job of retail. They're concerned with pushing the agenda rather than selling bathing suits. Yeah, they're 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 going to a higher cause. You know, we yes. always get told that, you know, today's world is so shitty, quote unquote, because uh, people aren't uh, reaching for a higher cause. What well, what happened to truth? Why couldn't that what, what, adherence to reality? Why couldn't that be the higher cause? What happened to truth, justice in the American way? Well, Here we go. We talked about that with Zack Snyder movies. So we've talked about that extensively. And now look where movies have gone to the other extreme. Let's talk about one of those movies in The Hopeful Bromantic with JML. As always, if you'd like to continue the conversation with us during the week, you can do so by joining our Discord channel. Just go to the midside.com or the midside.com slash podcast. Click on any episode link, and in there is a link with our join code. We'd love to hear from you. Tell us about farce you've been witnessing that you would also like us to witness verbally as we do on this show. Uh, you could talk about some trailers because we always have trailer takedown, post those in there. We would just love to hear from you. Just just you know, give us an update. How's your life? How are you feeling? We'd love to hear about all of those things. William, this week I saw the live-action Little Mermaid. The Little Mermaid okay. is well, my wife's well, favorite animated well, Disney movie, so I had to see it. Before we get started, you weren't in the theater where a fight broke out, right? Because I saw that video on Twitter. Today. No, I didn't. I did not see that video. What What was that fight about? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, I'll. I won't say uh, which uh, uh, group primarily were in the theater, but there was a fight that broke out in the theater, and there's just a video of the Little Mermaid. I think it's uh, um, uh, Under the Sea was playing, and uh, a fight was going on. So it was a nice, nice short shot of the uh, movie, and then the fight behind them, and then the movie. Children well, I can understand. Everybody. I can understand raging <laughs> about that part of the movie. I'll I don't get into know that why in the fight started. All. There was no context. It was just a funny video. I mean, they were probably angry about how poorly Under the Sea was done. But let me return to that. I will say though, in regards to uh, demographics, William, um, assume, uh, excuse me for assuming sexuality, but there were a lot of gay men in the theater. Like I would say, it was a heavily gay male audience. And I say that you because know, of the way I, I they were acting that, and dressed. Yeah, were they um, mourning um, Alan Moore's uh, creation being bastardized, or were they enjoying it? 
Uh, I have no idea. Everybody in there seemed to be pretty excited, but I don't know what other people's reactions to to the movie were. But I, I, they were all dressed up like you know how people cosplay when the movie first comes out. Like nobody was yeah. cosplaying there, but they were wearing like Ursula shirts or things like that to support the different characters. So they seemed to be celebrating, which which goes to sort of your point, right? About when you talk about gay, not queer. Yeah. How many people? in these different communities are even really plugged into all of what's going on and how many were just like, Oh, a live action little mermaid. I love that movie. I want to go see it. Yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, it gets back to that meme, the uh, consume product uh, meme, you know, this is just uh, I mean, they're going to run out of movies. Are they going to do song of the South next, Justin? I mean, Song of the South was already live action, wasn't it? And isn't that part of why they <laughs> they got mad because of the the Uncle Remus character? Yes. Yeah, I think so. Because he was a stereotype. But here's the thing. Look, dude, I'll talk about it straight out. Like, the race issue is the least problematic part of this entire movie. It, it, it it's it's not a problem. Like, honestly, once you hear her sing and you see her act like, okay, like she's a good actress. She can sing well. We can argue whether a movie that's supposed to be a Nordic movie, a Nordic story should have a black mermaid, but you know what they did? It's the director of the pirates movies and they said it in the Caribbean. So that answers that problem. Like, you can have a black mermaid in the Caribbean, so it makes sense. Like, it got to a point where I was watching the movie, and I was like, you know what? They sufficiently explain this. She is talented. Like, her version of uh, part of your world is excellent. And once I got past that part of the movie, I was like, you know what? I I like her. She's good in this part, so... What about the ending, though? Okay, well, those are the the sort of two things we can get into. So... um. Let's read my one-sentence review, and then we can go there. How does that sound? Sounds good. Poor performances and strange creative decisions undermine the moments that do truly succeed. I, I would give this sort of like, it's on the it's on the cusp of a no-bro and a bro, and I would give it 2.5 stars out of, out of 5 to give it equivalency there, to give you an idea of, of how I'm rating this. And the reason I'm saying this, William, is... There is a part of this movie that really works. And the part of this movie that really works is the romance between Eric and Prince Eric and Ariel. That it's it's well written. They give him more depth as a character. They give him some parallels between Ariel. So you know how she has her grotto? Well, he has like a room from all his voyages where he collects things from other cultures and things that he discovered and was curious about. And that parallel, like, it, it makes it work. And the way the the actors play off of each other, it all works very, very well. The kiss the girl scene is very well done. However, Did she consent yes, yes, yes the entire time? Uh, that was, so, that's sort of overblown. Now, let me say this. It was, like, one line they added to the the song about, like, oh, I need to get her permission. It's an yeah. exemplar, exemplar, though, of w- how some of the changes that were made were unnecessary. Sort of like the whole controversy on Baby, It's Cold Outside, where it misses yeah. the, the point of the original plot. The original plot is she does consent. That's the point. She's in love with him. And at that point in the movie, it's clear she's already in love with him. 
there was no like she already consented everyone knew that so it was it's it's just this hyper vigilance about having to make sure you get explicit consent that ruins the romance fortunately it was only one line and it was clearly as you put in there william it was clearly done to satisfy some dei specialist on set or something or <laughs> what do they have now consent have, specialist i'm sure there's a consent specialist out there it's not a they, they're intimacy coordinators now they're not consent specialists they're oh, intimacy okay. coordinators okay. that's what they have that's the legit Thank position you. right but overall Right, and we can use this to transition to discussing the ending. Which you, are you going to hit the spoiler button? There's I suppose. In the barn and Lori's pregnant. Okay. Overall, there are some very bizarre choices in this movie that just make it so much worse. Notably, uh, Flotsam and Jetsam do not talk in this movie. So, hmm. was the their dialogue problematic? I'm trying to remember. I don't know, because there are a couple scenes where I'm just like, if they had talked, it would be so much better. First of all, um, Ursula's introduction in the movie, remember she's explaining herself to Flotsam and Jetsam and talking to them? That's who she's interacting with. Mm -hmm. Her first two scenes are just her, like, just talking to herself, but talking directly to the camera. It's bizarre. It's the definition of tell rather than show. Uh, Then the other scene is, remember when Ariel, like, her dad, King Triton, destroys everything, and then Flotsam and Jetsam come and convince her to go to Ursula? Yeah. They just lead her out to Ursula. Like, they don't even talk to her. So they still have her, them leading her, but they're not talking to her. It's very bizarre. And then, spoiler-wise, right, when we talk about um, the whole poor, unfortunate soul thing... They don't show, like, one of the things that's so visually iconic about the Little Mermaid is the little creatures who have been captured. They're the captured souls by Ursula. Rather than do that to King Triton when he trades his life for his daughters, they just kill him. And then he comes back to life later. It takes away some of the visual flair and pizzazz. And that's that's one of the overarching problems of these live-action movies that I've said before. When we look at songs like... I just can't wait to be king or Prince Ali. And in this movie, Under the Sea, these are these grand operatic, visually bright numbers that they just fall flat in these movies because they take away some of the ways the lyrics are concretized visually. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it doesn't work. I mean, here's an example, not in a song, but... Remember how in the movie Scuttle tells her the fork is a dinglehopper and it's for your hair? Yeah. And then when she sits down to have dinner with Prince Eric, she does that to her hair yeah. with the fork? It's a visual gag. Right. They're, they they force that visual gag in because there's no dinner scene, but they're in like a Caribbean market and some vendor randomly gives her a f- piece of fruit with a fork she gives her a piece of fruit to eat, and then it's like, oh, you're going to need this to eat it with. And then she grabs the fork and starts twisting her hair with it, and everyone looks at her confused. It just, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And there are a number of things in the movie that don't work in that way, where they're just forcing these things in, or they're doing them in bizarre ways. Yeah. I mean, I would say King Triton's performance is very understated, where that dude has to be over the top, and angry. I thought Javier Bardem was bad. 
I mean, I'm not a Melissa McCarthy fan. Somebody told me that she's being praised for her performance. Ursula is supposed to be scary and menacing. I didn't get that from her at all. Yeah, she's supposed to be the seductive female evil sort of prototype, not prototype, um, stereotype, right? Yeah, I actually... Archetype. I came up Not with as an idea. seductive as in sexy, but as in persuasive, yeah. you know, the temptress. Right. right. And I have an idea for it that I'll tell you off air, but um, it's just she doesn't come across well. Although I will say one of the things they did well is I thought that that ending, you know, the sea battle where she gets stabbed. I thought that they were going to um, take that out yeah, because it's so violent, but they kept it. Although in the original, it's. Eric, who drives the ship into her, right? Yeah, I think that undermines it a bit. You know, it sounds like you know I've I, I've seen much of the movie uh, on uh, on Plex, but not I haven't watched it all. Um, it, I think it undermines all the extra character work that they did to develop his character because it, uh, you know, we live in a time where uh, a woman can't be helped by no man, and unfortunately, like, what's the what that would have been the act, action payoff for the emotional connection. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like him, yeah. him, it's the visual representation of him making that the choice of putting himself in danger to save, uh, 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 her. Yeah. But instead it, it, it becomes, a, it makes it so that it, it's almost like she made a bad risky choice. And then, because she's awesome, she just it all works out in the end, you know, right? Like it, it sort of like undermines the the moral of the story, right? Yes and no. Where the moral of the story is, they're the most moral people because they're the ones who don't pursue have hate dreams. for other yeah. cultures. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's not even pursuing their dreams. It's because they what makes them moral is not pursuing their dreams. It's what makes them moral is they have this love and curiosity for other cultures, whereas everybody else in the movie, embodied by the queen of the island that adopted Eric, who's black, and I'm saying that for a reason because I think they missed an opportunity here, and King Triton, who's Hispanic, right? Is they both hate the land and the sea. Uh, yeah, respectively, and yeah. the others don't. Ariel and Eric. So that's what makes them moral, and she's the most moral because she is the least bound by it. Whereas Eric sort of still has to be convinced a little bit because, you know, another thing they did that I was happy they didn't get rid of was they still had Ursula present as like a skinny model type when she tricked, um. She tricked Eric, a woman face. And that's all I'm going to say about that going forward. So, look, there is stuff that's done well, but you wanted to talk about the ending, right? Yeah, yeah. I I talked about that. Like, I I, I think that I think that it's I I think it could have been better. I think it's one of those in that list of things that that you were talking about. I, I, I think you have to also mention the animation being just I mean, the visuals being super dark, even on my like awesome OLED TV. And uh, we've talked about that before. And then the just the creepy animal animations that kind of went Lion King with it. Yeah. Right? Yes. And like what a what a. Why adhere to the physical so much in this visual medium, you could I'm not saying make it cartoonish, but like 
at least not make it gross yeah. or creepy. Well, I actually thought there was something else with the ending you were going to talk about. So I had heard that there was something offensive about the ending or something woke about the ending. And it's interesting to me. Are are people referring to her steering the ship into Ursula when they're saying that? I think so, because I think I, I think they're being charitable because, you know, some people are crying woke just for uh, Internet points. Um, I th- I think they see the spine of the original story and not having Eric do that in the original story would just have not made any sense. Right. Yeah. Um, in this one, the story is a bit different, so you can get away with it. But I still don't think yeah. it's the right choice. Uh, no, I don't think it's the right choice plot- either. Wise. But I don't even think that's the most woke thing about the ending. In fact, oh, it's yeah? there's something more woke that my wife pointed out to me before I said anything because I was like, eh, as far as wokeness goes, it could have been worse. So the very end of the movie where Triton gives her her legs back and says, go be with Eric. The very end of the movie has all of the land people and all of the sea people come together to say bye to Ariel and Eric as they go on a journey to explore the world together. Okay. Like, what What are we going to hold each other's hands and saying we are the world? Like, <laughs> that that's pretty bad. And, and the reason I'm saying this is they could have narratively, William, had what they wanted. They could have had what they wanted with one simple fix. And I thought they were going to do this. I thought they were going to do this. So in this movie establishes that Eric is adopted by the rulers of the island Right. And the, the, the male ruler is never shown. And it's established that Ariel's mom supposedly died. And I say supposedly because the movie establishes that King Triton said that she died. Right. Now, Ariel's sisters are all different ethnicities. I don't know if you saw that. <laughs> okay. Right. Which this makes mother no must sense. be very yes. interesting. <laughs> well, right. Well, that's what I'm saying. So here's the opportunity they missed. Ariel is mixed race, right? Light-skinned. Yeah. Could her father be Hispanic and her mother be dark-skinned black? Yeah. The twist of this movie should have been that the the woman on the island, the queen, was her mother. And the reason this spat existed is because of a messy breakup between Triton and the mother because Triton was a womanizer who had... Women with a bunch of our kids with a bunch of different women from different the seven seas. <laughs> I, think I think we're leaving. I think we're leaving the uh, Disney and going straight to uh, Desperate Housewives. No, going straight to a- ancient Greek mythology. Isn't that yeah. what oh, yeah. Zeus did? Yeah, yeah. Yes, impregnated a bunch of human women. Yeah. Now it's a little risky, but how is it not as risky as everything else they did? They did. Wouldn't yeah. that make more sense with the story they were trying to tell about the cultures hating each other? Yeah. It would give it would give a mo- but it would give a motivation that was uh, interpersonal in the individual sense versus uh, right telling a collectivist theme, and that's the entire point of all of this, right? That's the entire point of all of this. This is the discussion of art and romanticism versus naturalism. Naturalism removes the interpersonal motivations or says the interpersonal motivations are just cause for suffering because. We're at the mercy of either the cultural or natural forces that we have no control over. Whereas romanticism brings out those interpersonal and individual motivations. 
Now, again, let's sum up here, finish up by saying what worked and what didn't work in the, the live action Little Mermaid based on that dichotomy. What worked? The romance between Ariel and Eric, because was it not, William, from the parts you've seen based on their individual interpersonal motivations and yes. decisions? Yes, they shared values. It was less of a fairy tale. In, right. in the sense of like just the archetype where you don't have to explain it, right? And that and part of the movie, to, it's to defend fairy tales for a second, that is because you're supposed to insert your own self into there, right? It's right, and also the, it's uh, video the game fairy- theory, right? You don't tell the backstory of uh, uh, of uh, of the main character usually, right? In a right, and in the in in um, fairy tales, the princess is supposed to be a female insert for the the female viewer especially disney movies yes right so yeah not to attack original disney movies but that's when the movie soars and that's the part that is tremendous in this movie the romance between ariel and eric is great and if they had taken that and done that it would have succeeded however it's undermined by the collectivist woke storytelling that is in there and the collectors woke storytelling is the naturalism of all oh, these cultures hate each other because that's what cultures do. Ultimately, if you want to see it, see it. It's not the worst adaptation, but it's also not the best either. So, yeah, I have one more meta question for you. Um, Go ahead. You know, we've already mentioned sound of the South. How long before the original animated, um, uh, you know, Disney revival movies, go into the vault and don't come out like Song of the South and we just have these remakes. Because think of all the problematic stuff that they've gotten rid of um, as the Overton window shifts to the left. You know, how much longer before I'm able to buy Aladdin on Blu-ray? Well, this is why you should always buy physical media because I don't know if you've seen recently Disney Plus removing a bunch of content. Yeah. Always buy yeah. digital so they can't censor it for you. Um, I think with movies like The Little Mermaid and Aladdin and Snow White and Cinderella, I think they're too classic as of right now to do anything. And I don't think the culture's gone far enough because I think as we're seeing with the companies you just talked about where the bottom line still matters, I think ultimately the bottom line still matters with Disney and they'd lose so much theme park revenue if they put these movies away, I mean, think of the number of things built in the park that Justin, are built. I, I'm going to push back just for the sake of uh, of argument. I think there's a, a element of truth in this. If that were true, why the fuck did they do shitty Star Wars in the parks and not original Star Wars? Well, because, because if, if your logic, hold on, if your logic is sound, then they should have they should have done. You know, most icely and not whatever the hell that they did, right? Right. Because, as always with anything, William, this is not cut and dry and it's not simple. It's not black and white. And what I mean by that is there are team members on both sides of this conflict. And in the case of Star Wars, the biggest person that is on the other side here is Kathleen Kennedy. And we've talked about it on the show. If we haven't, I've at least talked about it with Daniel. There was a podcast with an Imagineer who was involved who said that Kathleen Kennedy convinced them by saying, 
why would you do the old when you can create new and create new fans and make more money going forward? And that's why they went away from the Moss Eisley Tatooine idea. So I agree with you. It's an internal battle. However, my point is, I think right now the reason the battle hasn't shifted completely towards the Kathleen Kennedy parts, points, and people is look at the Mandalorian. At the end of the day, they still need fans to make money. Yeah. And that is also always going to be the deciding factor. So how much money would it cost to refurbish the Little Mermaid ride to have it feature the live action Little Mermaid? Well, a lot. And how many fans would they lose if they did that? A lot. But how many are they going to lose if they have the live action Little Mermaid appear as a character in the park? Well, not many. So what are they doing? They're putting the live action Little Mermaid as a character in the park. So while I agree with you, I think it's more of a battle than it is a decided issue. And yeah. it's more, like you said, they, they subtly shift the Overton window. When profits no longer matter, when the bottom line no longer matters, then all of this stuff will disappear completely. Which is why, ultimately, they try to get government control in it, because they think government control means and it doesn't matter. And copyright the... into infinity, right? Because yeah. some of the Snow White should have been public domain by now, right? Yeah. Well, and as I was saying, government control, they think, means production doesn't matter, that government can just redistribute things however they want. They think yeah. government line, government control gets rid of the bottom line. Yeah, the the only the only business rationale I've heard for the live action is copyright. So, oh yeah, and that's why they did the new Mickey and Minnie ride. You know that, yes, because yeah. the yeah. original Mickey and Minnie are outside of copyright. Okay, that's a movie that came out. Let's talk about some movies that are going to come out. I post the trailers for Trailer Takedown in the Discord the day before we record. Usually it's on Saturdays. That's so you can watch them whenever you want. If you want to watch them before an episode, after an episode, or during. You watch a trailer, we talk about it. You watch a trailer, we talk about it. Trailer Takedown. First trailer. Susie Searches is a movie starring Kersey Clemens, who you probably most know as Iris from the upcoming Flash movie and Zack Snyder's Justice League. And... While this trailer gave away a lot and felt very spoilery, I liked the quirkiness of it and I liked the humor of it. It started as sort of a Veronica Mars style movie where story where the lead actress, Kirstie Clemens character Susie is a private investigator, sort of Nancy Drew like sleuth, except she's more awkward. But then there's a twist where she's actually the kidnapper. And I assume there's some sort of Stockholm syndrome going on between her and the the young man she captured. Um, only based on the the races of the stars, because she kidnaps a white man. Could you possibly infer any sort of wokeness in this? I didn't really pick up anything in the trailer. Maybe William did. He'll let us know. But I I don't know. This was sort of endearing to me. I think this could be a fun little dark comedy. Hug. Hug. Yeah, my my woke sense wasn't very high. Um, I thought it looked interesting. I I just worry that I know the whole movie now based on the on the trailer. 
Justin. So like, I agree. Did they give you all the twists? Right. They could have teased something fishy going on, and it would have been better. But maybe not. I mean, it's maybe they didn't give the whole thing away. But I, don't I know. think I this like is I've a case. I think this is a case of William where they're afraid of leaving a, a bullet in the gun because it's a smaller independent movie and it's not a big tentpole franchise. They're worried if they leave a bullet in the gun that they're going to lose the ticket money that they would have gotten if people knew it going in. Yeah. Well, when you when it's a whodunit and you gave away whodunit, it's it's I, I mean, I don't know. But now it's I a why done it. It's a why yeah, done it. Why done it? Yeah, um, it's a little bit of ba- Breaking Bad ish vibes, though, right? Someone doing something bad for gain, right? Um, but uh, I don't know. It looks interesting. I think this is a Netflix and hug for me. Netflix and hug. Second trailer. White Bird is based on a book, and it's about Nazis. Look, th- this trailer was like, there's a kid who's a bully, and his his grandmother, played by Helen Mirren, is going to tell him how to not be a bully. And then, of course, what's the answer to not being a bully? Oh, when she was a kid, love. she was bullied by uh, the Nazis, and to beat them, it's love. Right? Like, why? Why do we have to keep making this same fucking movie over and over again? Did, did we go back in time and we had to reconvince the people that Nazis were evil? Oh, no, it's not that. It's that we had to reconvince the people who what Nazis are and who Nazis are. That's what this is about. I'm sorry. This is one of those cases where is the author of the original book well-intentioned or not, naive or not? I don't know. But this is definitely being used to push this entire agenda of wanting you to believe the greatest problem is white supremacy. So this is just as good as the acting looks. You know, it's Helen Mirren. It's Gillian Anderson. And as endearing... As like the idea of, oh, they fell in love during, you know, the Holocaust, during World War II era. Like I just, in the current cultural context, I can't. Like literally when I saw this in theaters, it, they showed this before The Little Mermaid. I was like, really? Nazis again? Tackle. Tackle. If you got rid of the frame story, this might be a decent movie. I like, I, I know it's been told before, but at least it could have been good. You could, it could have some endearing qualities about the acting or some interesting take on, on the story or the culture. But because of the frame story, it just seems a little too preachy. And like you said, it's, uh, I don't know. It feels like familiar territory that we've all seen before. So, tackle. Ugh, tackle. Third trailer. Shiro's is a com- action comedy about a, bu- a bunch of young girls, I guess they're on spring break, fighting back against an evil drug lord. And there's like a some meta stuff here where there's there is a funny scene in here where, in order to respond to the the drug dealer, uh, one of the girls recites the line from Taken about having a particular set of skills and threatening to kill him. But here's my problem, William, with this entire fucking trailer. Okay, it's called Shiro's and they're supposed to be heroes and I assume they're heroes because they're fighting back against a drug lord. It seems to be that they just have some cocaine that they're not supposed to have because it was accidentally put in their bag or they grabbed the wrong bag and the guy just wants his cocaine back. Now, I'm not clearly I'm straight edge and I'm not advocating cocaine use and I'm not defending drug dealers. But are you a hero because you accidentally stole something from someone and you refuse to give it back even if they're a bad guy? The entire premise of this is fucked. Tackle. Tackle. And why do all 
female action heroes have to be skinny, like, waif models. We have... I'm not saying cast Gina Carano in this. I was going to say it's because they fired Gina Carano. (laughs) But could you? Could you find other people who look like... we have MMA stars, right? We have we know what the we MMA know what someone stars, who would be. How many times do you need Batista, John Cena, and The Rock to become huge movie stars before you start casting some of these female professional wrestlers? I don't know. I don't know. Like it doesn't make any sense to me, especially since they're trying to, you know, usually they ugly them up a bit, right? And and they're trying to like claim they're not selling based on sex but it's like man oh man make there's so such an opportunity here to have a fun comedy with believable you know semi-believable uh uh actresses playing the part but yeah like it seemed like who's the bad one the the drug dealer providing the cocaine or the women using the cocaine because didn't it kind of imply that they were going to use the cocaine well, of course they are. They're on spring break. Oh, look, jackpot. We accidentally got cocaine, and that's probably yeah. why they can't give it back. Oh, man. Because they stole okay. it. Yeah, they double they stole, stole it. They stole it, and they're the heroes. I guess that's the comedy? Ha, ha, ha. Always with the drugs. Tackle. Final trailer. Shooting Stars is the Disney Plus retelling of LeBron James' high school basketball state championship team. Look, I'll be honest. When I first heard about this, I was like, LeBron James movie? Uh, I don't need to watch this. But the way this trailer was done, it wasn't centered on LeBron James. He was just one member of the team, which I appreciated. And then it had sort of a Mighty Ducks vibe where it's like, here are all these different characters and the different journeys they're going to have to go through in order to win the state title. And as I got into this trailer, I was enjoying it more and more. And I was like, you know what? This looks like a pretty decent to good sports movie. Or sports series. I don't know if this is a movie or a series. However, it did the fucking collectivist thing at the end that makes me so mad that we do in our culture. Where the coach at the end is like, oh, it, it, you're not going to remember one day what happened. You're going to remember who you played alongside. Excuse me? Excuse me? Look, as a coach, can I just tell you, I know my athletes are going to remember what happened on the mat. Yes, they're going to make bonds with their teammates and hopefully with their coach that will last for life i hope that happens i really do however what you are going to remember most is your personal experience with the sport with the sport with the activity you are doing the idea that we keep pushing a second-handed narrative for life you know it's not what you're doing in life it's who you're with and then we do it this with sports yeah you are going to share it with the other four members of the starting lineup and the other I don't know how many people are going to be on the bench in a high school basketball team fully who is on the full roster, right? You're going to share it with them, but it's going to be your experience on that team that's going to matter to you. Do you think LeBron James, the star player of that state basketball championship team, had the same experience as the kid on the end of the bench who only played a couple minutes per game because they both were sitting next to the same people? They both had the same teammates? No. How you play the game matters. How you live life matters, not just who you're around. And because of that, at the end of that trailer, that just made me not want to watch this. It, it gave me such a sour taste. Tackle. Tackle. <clears throat> uh, I think it's a Peacock original. Uh, I think you said Disney+. Plus. Uh, 
It is Peacock. I thought it was Disney Plus. All right. That was Peacock. Um, I'm a little, I'm a little bit just turned off by the movie. I think what you pointed out apart at the end. It is Peacock, by the way. Yeah, I was turned off more at the beginning. I don't know what I couldn't put my finger on it. I, I I got the Mighty Ducks sort of vibe. I, I I did get that, but I don't know. It seemed it seemed watered down and simplified in a way that wouldn't be interesting to me. It think of the Mighty Ducks and it's a dramatization, right? It's a it, it it's and then this is sort of supposed to be telling the real life story, but I don't know that. Just based on the preview, you know that, you know, LeBron is going to steal the show, right? And I'm not sure how they're going to fit all these perspectives in. They're sort of making it about the four people and everything else. And, like, I don't know. I, I just don't see this working just based on the preview and just how it's shot and, like, what they were showing. So, I don't know. I, did, I, ne- I didn't get turned on by it at all. So, it just it just seems like it wasn't going to work. So, I'm going to tackle it. Ugh, tackle. All right, William, that brings us to the end of our trip. What did we learn? I learned that I had a hard time figuring out what I didn't like about shooting stars, but it just didn't work for me. I don't know. Justin, what did you learn this week? Uh, I learned something about our country's ethnic makeup and my own ethnic makeup. When you stumbled on something, when you asked how many Irish people are in the United States... So, according to the Census Bureau in 2021, there is more than 31.5 million residents who claim Irish ancestry, second only to German, which is, they put 43 million, but that doesn't make any sense in parentheses, but second only to, oh no, German would be first, right? So yeah, second only to German. Oh, I think I just learned something else right there too. I won't touch that though. We'll come back to that later. So yeah. 31.5 million residents claim Irish ancestry. First of all, remember when the Irish were shit on as immigrants? So that's really interesting. But second of all, right, moving forward, the census, that same, that same year of the census, only 15.9 million people claim Italian ancestry. That's about 4.8% of the population. And, right, 8.2 million. 2.5% 2.5% of the population claim Polish ancestry. So first of all, aren't the Irish underrepresented in everything then? Yeah. And aren't the Italians overrepresented? Yeah. I mean, it kind of makes me think the Italians are the original mocked minority here, right? Aren't they appropriating Italian culture at this point? <laughs> I know a lot of interesting things going on with these numbers. So that's what I learned. And that's something I have to reflect on. All right, I want to thank everybody for listening. If it wasn't for you, this would just be me talking in the corner of my closet like a crazy person. Still is that. You just make me feel a little bit less crazy. If you want to support the show, you can do midside.com slash store, pick up some merch. You can go to midside.com slash Patreon, midside.com slash locals. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. We accept any and all support. That is how we keep the lights on. It's also, I keep the lights on because by moving my hands because the... Uh, light in my closet is motion activated so that's also how i keep the lights on but your donations really is how i pay that electric bill and most importantly you should tell a female friend about the show although what's a female friend nowadays i don't know go ask target 
This concludes your journey into the midside. I'm Justin Emlazeski reminding you that if things get tough, take a step back and witness the farce. Have a tuck-free day. So if I come out for spring break in Florida, I should not bring the bag of cocaine to your house? Never bring any drugs anywhere near my house. <laughs> I am still and always will what be straight edge. What a terrible plot. What a terrible plot. Why Why does every movie nowadays just have to go to drugs? Every movie. I don't know. It's like we're reliving the 70s. Except for they're seen as good people. Where in the 70s, every main character was awful, right? Yes. Now they're still awful, but they're presented as moral. <laughs>